Hello and welcome back to Stories, brought to you by Kiosk M1C. Kiosk M1C is the voice of Lower Stable Street and has curated all shops, events and exhibitions on Lower Stable Street since Cordropshard first opened back in 2018. Their mission has been to support new businesses and provide an environment in which they can thrive and grow. I'm Maria Hanlon and in each episode I'll be finding out the real stories of how these businesses have developed and how the community has helped shape their journey. In episode six, I chat to Simon from House of Cans. House of Cans is an off-license and can bar based on Lower Stable Street. It was founded in 2018 and House of Cans say they're built on booze, creative collaboration and having a nice time. In this episode, Simon and I discuss the story behind creating his thriving business, the best-selling products and future plans for House of Cans. Without further ado, here's episode six with Simon from House of Cans. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Could you start by introducing yourself and telling me your role at House of Cans? Good morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Simon. I'm a co-founder and uh, director, main driver at House of Cans. Amazing. And for people that don't know, what is House of Cans? House of Cans is a um, can-only um, bar and off-license um, based in Cold Drops Yard in King's Cross. Um, we work with artists and illustrators to produce, uh, custom and limited edition cans, um, as well as just operate as a regular beer shop and bar. Very cool. We're going to speak about the collaborations in just a bit, but before then I want to start at the beginning. So House of Cans was founded in 2018, but let's go back a bit. So could you take us through the journey from the initial idea all the way up until today? So, um, Back in 2018, when the development was launching, the guys letting the units on the street, you may know them, uh, were keen for there to be a bar in situ as part of the landscape. Um, The challenge, I guess, for any conventional operator was squeezing something into one of the diminutive units along here. So uh, whoever did it, and it turned out to be us, um, needed to be... um, savvy and creative about how they kind of shoehorned uh, an offer in and where we landed on was um, a very focused single format serviceable and streamlined operation which needed to be simple but um, needed to be interesting too so we kind of uh, drew on our collective creative backgrounds there's hospitality there's um, brand ownership uh, retail and design all in there so um, it's kind of a, it, it's it's the sum of its parts in terms of uh, what it's ended up being. And was that always the idea from the start for it to be sort of a shop, but also a bar, like the combination? Yeah, of the def- definitely. We wanted, we wanted there to be scope to sit in. It's very restricted though, you know, um, you've, if you've been in, you'll, you'll see how kind of compact it is. Um, it's a takeaway predominantly, so that's all good. The the outside space in the kind of warmer months means that we can spill out onto the street and expand our footprint as a bar. Otherwise, in 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 colder weather, unless you're partic- particularly stoic or come dressed appropriately, it's um it's kind of um it's fairly limited space for sitting in. So let's fast forward to now. What is a typical day like at House of Cans? What goes on in the shop and uh, behind the scenes? It's uh. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a fairly streamlined operation. It's, it's a fairly conventional uh, retail environment day to day. Our customers are typically 
um, craft beer enthusiasts. That's where the focus is, is kind of landed on. I've probably driven that myself to a degree. Um, it's um, kind of fielding inquiries about custom projects, which we get. We've worked with a number of uh, brands to produce custom cans. We get an increasing number of inquiries from uh, artists via social media who are just keen to um, see how they can work with us. So it's about fielding those, really. Uh, it's fairly straightforward, to be, to be honest. I guess a lot of the kind of groundwork came before, didn't it? Setting it all up, and now you can just enjoy it a lot. Very of it. much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the custom projects that we run are kind of they're not they're not every day, you know. But when they come, they're they're kind of volume. So it's not like I mean, we're, we're popular and they're popular, and we're kind of growing into it. I guess the period. Um, of the, the the COVID, the pandemic kind of really impacted the kind of fun and nice to have projects that, that uh, clients would otherwise have budget for. So they were kind of largely paused during that time. So it's only really in the last year or so that people have been coming back out with a budget for those kind of extra nice to have things. Nice. And I feel like I have to ask a million dollar question. Why did you decide that cans were going to be your unique selling point? Um. It, well, it kind of lent itself to the space. It needed to the operation needed to be, as I say, really streamlined um, and ergonomical. Um, given our focus on uh, presentation, we felt that cans offered um, a a better vehicle for the artwork we were keen to to use and explore. Um, but there's loads of reasons, really, um, from a sustainability and a recyclability point of view. Um, cans just are um, a better option than than glass. Uh, at the point of production, when when cans are being filled, there's less wastage than there is with bottle. Uh, increasingly, the, the the type of product that we sell that's that's des- whether it's wine or beer, product that's designed to be uh, consumed fresh. Cans are just a better vessel for it from a quality point of view. So there's not really a reason we wouldn't focus on cans. And also, it just it gives us a, a really singular focus, and it interests people. That's that, that you know, I have this conversation a lot about why we do it, and I think it kind of it makes sense to to everybody except maybe the real craft beer purists, who frankly I'm not that interested in, um, in humouring beyond a certain point. <laughs> um, that you know, that that cans you know, make total sense in every regard. And I feel like a lot of brands nowadays are doing more cans, <clears throat> particularly cocktail brands like the pocket Negronis that I saw you do, and also wine as well, which is quite a new thing still, isn't it? Can wine is, yeah, yeah. But if um, I think it's it's quite naturally, can wine as a concept is quite naturally um, more of a challenge to a, a market that's as traditional as the European one. It's massive in uh, the US um, and the Southern Hemisphere in, in kind of newer wine producing uh markets but if you look at it for the for the same reason that that beer makes sense in can well so does wine if you're not looking to sell it why wouldn't you put it in a can and also um particularly if you've got any kind of faith in the brand that you're building you wouldn't put it in there if it wasn't an appropriate um vehicle to kind of to sell it in and then there's also there's also the fact that the the brand that we carry um uh, mainly defy uh with him, we did a testing with last weekend. It's it's a really interesting story, but one of the the main drivers behind them focusing on can was really that he likes wine, the founder, but he doesn't necessarily want a whole bottle each time. So rather than rather than open a bottle and have it sit there and you know either 
yeah, not get drunk or not be very nice next time you get around to it, then um, it's just it, it, it's a, it's a smaller measure by which to enjoy. Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, it's like if you don't want to drink the full bottle, because I def I buy a bottle of wine say on a Sunday, have a glass of the roast dinner, and then I don't really want to drink it on the Monday, and then you just leave it, and it just kind of doesn't taste as good, or it's just not as good. So that's so that's such a like forward thinking way. If you don't want to drink as much, you can just buy the one the one can. Yeah, there's there's method to it all. Yeah. Method to it all, love that. So we're going to talk about the collaborations now. So you've collaborated with a lot of artists and illustrators. To name a few, you've teamed up with like Adidas, um, previous podcast guests, actually Sam Snow, Blue Note Records. So how does that work, the collaboration side of things? And how do you decide to work with or how do you decide who to stock in the shop? Um, so a number of them have come about uh, through uh, Neighbours, um, and events that are being hosted, not least through Kiosk um, and Honest John's next door. Um, that's certainly how Blue Note came about. We've also got, I mean, they're based pretty locally across at Universal for their UK setup. So we're quite fortunate. I think our, our location um, helps and the kind of community element to Cold Drops Yard and kind of um, people knowing what their kind of neighbours do and the services that they can offer. I think that's that helps. Um we're fortunate enough that um, one of our partners is quite well connected brand-wise. I'd love to say that um, New Balance kind of came windmilling in and sort of saying, oh, "I love what you do," but I mean, they do did love what we do. But um, we kind of we, we had a couple of connections that brought about that uh, particular project. That said, um, we've had a couple of approaches from off the back of certain projects from PR agencies who represent Nike uh, and Timberland. We've produced I don't know what those shoes. But um, we've produced cans for those guys. Um, Blue Note was a particularly exciting one just because um, the music's fantastic. The label's legendary. And then artist-wise, um, initially it was up to us to kind of, uh, I, I guess, initially call on connections, people whose work we liked, um, to kind of get them interested and on board. And then the more projects that we got under our belt uh, and the more of a presence we sort of established um, online, um, we started to get inquiries, and, and I have to say there's one in particular we got from an artist called Daniel Savage, who's in Los Angeles, Excuse me, who wanted to get involved. And, and off the back of that and his audience, um, I don't think I've had to go looking for an artist to collaborate with since. And what's brilliant about that is that um, there, it's just extended our reach. So obviously he's in LA, but we've, done, we've partnered with artists based in Switzerland in... Uh, in the Netherlands, in Sweden, in Canada, most recently, uh, in Brazil, twice, um, and it's it's so it's fantastic. And 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 what I love to do as well is, and well, it seems to have happened as a matter of course, but it's a two way thing that I just like to try to evolve the styles of the people um, whose art we feature. Um, and there's there's very rarely a brief set. I've never really said, yeah, I want this to reflect this. They're very often keen to know what. Uh, type of product their artwork's going to wrap but I'm mainly preoccupied with how their artwork translates to the format and mm -hmm. and and basically what they think is going to work it goes so hand in hand doesn't it with the cans kind of being the blank canvas and then collaborating with the artist and then it's like when you walk in your shop it's literally a gallery of art and yeah. cans it just goes the two together go perfectly yeah well it's yeah the the, the, the can art's kind of it's, I mean it's already a thing there's some brilliantly presented product out there there's some great product that's kind of less well 
um, presented. I think sometimes I think I think we're keen to kind of demonstrate that it's eminently possible to to get both right. Um, but yeah, we get people coming in uh, who just passing by, just wondering what the hell we do. You know, um, and, it, and it's great. I, I don't even care if they buy anything. You know, I mean, most most do, but they'll come in and they're just fascinated by how we present ourselves and. Um, yeah, and the and the kind of the, the yeah, the, as you as you mentioned, the kind of the gallery element and how we present ourselves. Yeah, because there is just so much to look at. Like you said, people do often pass by and just think. I think that's kind of similar with a lot of the shops here. They're also creative and different. People are always like popping their head in and being like, "What is this in here?" Yeah, it's so unique down here, which is great. So, what is your best selling drink? Would you say? Because that's probably quite a hard question. But what? It, maybe not exact can, but what always sells really, really well. Um, we sell uh, mostly, I guess, given the focus is on beer, the most popular styles are New England IPAs and um, honestly, lager's never going to go away. Yeah. I get a lot of people coming in and saying, like, really sheepish and going. And I think this is one of the things I think, I think people who, we want to, despite how we present ourselves, we want to remain totally accessible. This is what I mean about kind of, you know, we carry some really great product and, and, and beers in particular that um, beer enthusiasts are going to be really kind of into and excited about. But I don't want it to be about that. And I think the can only thing kind of stops it. Getting too kind of purists, or for want of a better word, nerdy. Yeah. Because I, 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 I love good beer, I love good drinks, but I just want to enjoy them for what they are. And I think that's the other thing that's great about the the can concept, but then you get, we want to be accessible to everybody. You know, we want, we want people to come in and if they wouldn't normally drink what we have to try those, but then to come in and then if, if they just want to drink what they normally drink or the closest possible alternative to it, because they might just default to, you know, a mainstream lager, which is totally fine. I don't sell it because it's available too widely, but that's totally fine. So they'll be apologetic about asking for a lager. And I'm like, well, don't be. It's a safe place. You know, I'll kind of step back and reveal a fridge which is very deliberately full um, of all different kinds of really, really good interpretations of small batch brewed lager, either coming from where it started in Czech or or, or Germany or from <clears throat> small batch producers in Sussex or Manchester or, or wherever. Yeah. So those, two, I guess, those two from a beer point of view, uh, in the warmer weather, it's 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 not turned out to be as much of a thing as kind of the people that create the these types of brands, the seltzer sort of brands make out. I mean, it's I, it, I don't see a huge appetite for all. There's people are kind of starting to get um, driven toward low calorie uh, seltzers and stuff as an option, but that's not massive for us. But kind of as you alluded to, the kind of the pocket Negroni and, and old fashions that, that we sell, um, I think sell as much as anything um, on the strength of the format they come in, which are these cute 100 mil cans, which I think people just like to hold. They're really cute to look at. I've had a couple of them, the Negronis. Yeah, but the product's really good as well. You know, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's the genuine kind of... Um, and they're strong. They taste yeah, strong. No, they they are. Punch. They yeah. are. They are. So that's, that's kind of, I guess, that, that, that's another great reason why you might think of us. You know, you're paying six quid or, or eight pound fifty for a for a for a, a full strength cocktail, albeit it's not being poured over ice into a glass, but then it's not costing you twenty quid. Yeah. And so, just touching on the strength, they are really some really strong ones in there, aren't there? They're premium, yeah. Yeah. 
So you're really like you're paying obviously more than normal, but you're getting a very strong beer. Well, you're paying you're paying the going right. Yeah, you're just yeah. not paying what you were paying a bar. Yeah, exactly. and then that's the decision that 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 you make if you want to go and have a a drink in a in a pub or a bar. You you go do that. You know where we are if if you want to kind of kick back on the canal. yeah. It's different, isn't it? And it's so good that you're obviously so knowledgeable and like you were touching on, if you feel, because I've been there where you walk into like a brewery or something and I want a lager and there's so many and I feel overwhelmed and I feel a bit like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. So it's so nice that when people come to the shop, you're there, you're super knowledgeable. They can sort of tell you roughly what they like and you can recommend things. Yeah, it's it's the most enjoyable bit for me. It's like, it's, it's a consultation thing. You know, people are like, do you sell online? And we do. Um, but it's it's not it's not a model that works terribly well for us kind of commercially because since since the the pandemic breweries and producers have been selling direct to consumer and that kind of impedes on our ability to get proper value from so it's for, from from what we sell so while we do have an online offer i don't probably I don't know for better or worse. I don't really push it because we compromise our margins to be competitive. By the time we've delivered it, it's kind of like just about get your money back. What I'm interested in, it's kind of old school. The model, the way it works for me, it's kind of bricks and mortar retail, um, and kind of a, a for want of a, a more up to date term, a shopkeeper customer dynamic. And people, yeah, people come in, uh, and we've got a menu, but it's so extensive. We kind of normally end up passing over that and talking to, talking about what they like. Um, and it's, and it's, it's just, it's good. It's dead interesting. And actually, I think, you know, people start to then hear themselves explain to themselves what it is they like. And it's my job to try and interpret that. Yeah. I like that you call it a beer consultation. I feel like that hits the nail on the head. Kind well, of. these aren't, you know, <clears throat> these aren't unimportant decisions we're making, you know, if they, I mean, but if you're going to pay, if you, I mean, increasingly, you know, for, for some of the beers that we've got, you know, it's, it's eight, nine quid a can. So you want to be, I mean, I'm super confident that it's going to be enjoyed because I know that it's good. Yeah. And that's as much down to the kind of the quality of, um, and the consistency of the output of the vast majority of the, of the breweries that we work with. So I'm kind of, you know, I kind of go in blind in lots of cases. People ask me, do you go around tasting this? I'm like, I wish, but no, I don't have to, because you kind of, you just, you, you either instinctively know either from consuming yourself I'm, I'm an avid one of those consumer um but um just that the product's going to be good so you know <laughs> i very often say you know so, someone will come in and use a very kind of generic um product to kind of relate me to what they like and and it, it just it just kind of it's music to my ears because i'm like i'm about to blow your mind you know the best feeling yeah well well it's just it's just <laughs> nice because 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 i'll put you know, confidently put it in front of them and without, you know, coming over like a dick. It's like, I'll be amazed if you don't like it. In fact, I won't believe you. Yeah. If you like that and you don't like that, you know. Yeah. I, I never want to see you again. <laughs> yeah. I love that. The confidence is great. Well, not yeah, not quite that. You know what I mean? Well, it's because you know your stuff though. Well, That's why. Well, it's because I know, I know that it's, I know that what we sell is absolutely of a standard. It wouldn't be there otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, and I think it's definitely fair to say that it's kind of, you know, we're not, we're not for everybody. In, in terms of, you know, some people don't even care that much. You know, they're, they're, they're comfortable sticking with something more mainstream, whether it's product or price or whatever, and that's that's totally fine. But, um, yeah, I, I am happy that, that what we sell is is a cut above. 
And personally, what's your like go-to drink? What's your tipple? I like New England IPAs. Yeah. So from breweries like Track and Garage and um, kind of super, really nice and soft, less bitter, um, hoppy beers. And as well as kind of like the classics, you do have some very unique flavours. I saw you had like a blueberry muffin one yeah. and things like that. How do those ones go down? Who Rick, sort of likes those sort of ones? People that don't like beer. Ah, so like... No, no. Um, no, I think it's um, it's a it's a growing market, the sour market. They're like contemporary takes on a, a, like a traditional style of, of Belgian, but you know, like you get Belgian fruit beers and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, typically which which tend to um, remain in bottle in terms of the the traditionally produced ones. These, the way I see it, these these are, are, are contemporary interpretations of those, and yeah, the sours market. Is it, it, it's it's only getting more elaborate and more popular again. It's kind of a it's a warmer weather thing. They sell year round, but we sell mostly those the kind of a refreshing tart beer uh, in summertime. They're, they're they're more popular then. The cynic in me very often sort of says the kind of beer for cider drinkers, because but mainly because it's kind of while I can appreciate one, it's not really my thing. Yeah, it's but, not but, but 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 no, but I but I can't appreciate who's doing a, a a good job of them and and go out my way to kind of reflect that and what we carry and and they prove very popular. I want to try one. What's like the most peculiar flavor that you've had in the shop? Would you say? Uh, there's a brewery called Vault City that continue to release beers that, frankly, sometimes I don't think they know how they're going to turn out, and they've got so many components I couldn't even reel off to you off the top of my head the most elaborate but it'll be something there'll be there'll be a muffin in there there'll be blueberry there might be i don't know cinnamon ice cream gets dropped in a lot take, take yeah take take your pick it's good they're, i mean they're they're, ex, they're extremely clever yeah. I, I have to say that it pushes the boundary of what's beer a lot of the time because whilst the base components are doubtless in there there's so much other shit in there that it, it, it's good stuff in there that um, you could question whether it kind of qualifies. Do you know what mm, I mean? But yeah. but there's a market for it, so you know, and and you know, as is as is my approach to the whole thing. You know, drink what you like. So, what would you say is? I think you've kind of touched on this already, but what is the most rewarding part of your job? Would you say people coming back? Yeah. No, no question. I think um, because it's yeah. I mean, we've been. It'll be five years in October that we'll have been here, and I think I just, I just really, uh, I really enjoy how much people respond to the concept. So I would say that I, I think um, our ability to, to to have stuck around. We, we actually we met with quite a lot of skepticism um, from a certain demographic who are perhaps more enthused about craft beer or more kind of uh, serious about craft beer than, than they need to be, certainly than we are, about, um, and there was scepticism and, and I think doubt about our ability to kind of stick around in the format that we operate. And it's been so easy because we're relaxed and I think just just um, accessible on the flip side, what would you say is the most challenging part of your job? I wonder if we're about to, to see it. 
in in kind of the the climate that we're experiencing at the moment. To be honest, it's been we've been really fortunate. That it's um this is an amazing place to operate from. I've I've kind of done a lot of retail and hospitality work, and I have to say that I've never and I say this a lot to people that that, that come in. Um, I've never um, experienced as engaging and up and positive a clientele as we get around here. Um, and, and people just buying in and particularly, and then, you know, we were very fortunate during those, uh, during the, the, the COVID times whereby we were able to operate as a takeaway as an, as an essential and who would argue with that essential operator. So it was pretty plain sailing for us to, to ride out that, that period. And then people were just excited to be alive off the back of that. And there was celebration in the air, so we had some really good times, and it's the, it's just continued to grow the business year on year, I guess. Um, there's, but there's definitely, um, I mean, I'm, I'm very relaxed about it, kind of being fine in the long run. But but I think people watch too much news, um, and it's impacting um, their propensity to kind of come out and enjoy themselves at the moment, and. And that's kind of that's prevalent on the on the atmosphere. And you can you can you can you can feel it on weekends where you know people don't uh, at the moment don't uh, always equal custom. So it's just it's just an interesting time at the minute. So we might be about to face it, but at the risk of sounding smug, it's been dead easy. So, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned along the way since setting up your business? Um, I think uh, to remain true. To your, to, to your concept and have some faith in it. Have some faith in it or don't do it. And I, and I, and I mean in, in respect of, again, I was, I was a little bit hurt. We got some, we got some online uh, criticism. Um, I don't use Twitter anymore. Um, yeah, from people who I couldn't see, um, who, who were kind of, uh, who, who again were dubious and skeptical and kind of basically couldn't really understand that we'd be deliberately doing something which wasn't like everything else, uh, and those are for all the reasons that I've hopefully have explained uh, comprehensively. But also, I don't want to have to explain to people. Do you want to engage or don't engage? Go some, go to one of the million of other, other ordinary options and conventional options to to enjoy your stuff. Um, we're doing this. And we're doing this for a reason. Um, some of it is, some of it's, you know, practical and circumstantial. You know, the, the unit that we took on, and you know, having to be savvy about um, how we how we fitted into the unit and how we made it um, made it work. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I just, yeah, I'm really bullish about what we do. I don't want to change it. You know, I could, I could even probably make it more commercial by by kind of. Um, you know, moving away from the focus that we have, I don't want to do that because it's it, it, it kind of works as what it is, and I just want to demonstrate that it, it it's kind of not despite myself or, or ourselves, but to but to demonstrate that it's it's possible to sustain oneself by sticking to what you start out doing. I like that approach because, yeah, as you said, it's like you do what you do. There's plenty of other pubs or bars if people don't like it, and if they do like jump in, get involved. It works. Yeah. Perfect. Simple. Love that. So what are your future plans for House of Cans? Is it just to keep on going and keep on doing what you're doing or are there sort of end goals or anything like that? Uh, it's quite fluid. 
Um, if it had been up to us, would have had probably at least two other sites by now. Um, one continues to be in the works. Um, that's proved unbelievably complicated and and uh, been met with some misfortune in terms of the structural integrity of the unit that we were looking at. Um, otherwise, post-COVID um, licensing, we've run into a couple of issues. I think, um, you know, with nowhere to go during lockdown, I think certain neighbourhoods were perhaps plagued with um, block parties and, and and people people drinking on the street. And I think, you know, initial applications for, for like we had a, a, a we had to kind of veto a project in one part of town just because there was too much opposition to us moving in off the back of that, and I don't want to open where we're not welcome. So it's been harder than you might think to to expand um, in in that climate. Certainly, certainly finding the right space and circumstances and, and area for us has been tricky. But but we'd love to see how it would work elsewhere. I'm fascinated because I think I think. Coldrop Shard is a pretty unique development. You know, people talk about London as a bubble. I think Coldrop Shard is like a bubble within that bubble um, in terms of the type of consumer that we have here. Um, uh, so, so, so that would be. I'm just yeah, that'd be dead interesting. You know, to find out how it's received uh, and see what kind of reception and, and if and what pushback we get on. On what we do, I think. Otherwise, I mean, the, the the plan more broadly was always to to kind of build the brand more and kind of maybe move into kind of own brand, which is kind of what we what kind of what we have at the moment uh, in in the kind of the custom labeled uh, house beers that we do. But we're not producers, uh, and I don't really think we want to be brewers. Well, we don't. Um, but but making that model work um, successfully, if you don't make the beer, is it's challenging and maybe, you know, maybe we don't deserve that success because it's not our product, but it's not, you know, there's a lot of cases where people have brands where the beer is not theirs, not to blow the lid off, you know, it's not, it's not a, a huge part of the business, but that's how a lot of people get into it. So we'll, so we'll see, we'll see, uh, you know, how that can, that can move forward um, in terms of own brand stuff. I'd like to move into other products as well, be less beer focused, be able to offer some soft drinks. It's just about the scalability of it and um, making it economical to take or make a run of drinks um, and package them in the way and present them in the way that we do. It's tricky. So, but there's, I mean, but there's loads we could do. There's loads. It's a very kind of flexible um, format. So we'll just have to see. But I think I think the most likely next step is uh, at least one or two more sites. That's exciting. It really could be, you know. Yeah. Okay, so last question is, and this is a question again that we ask all of our guests, where is the one place in King's Cross, apart from obviously House of Cans, that everyone should check out and why? Um, I think Kitchen Provisions is just an extraordinary shop. T- Tom's a good guy. We 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 um, we talk a lot about our respective experiences here, but I, I think, um, again, visually, uh, what they do is is beautiful. And the the kind of array of specialist products within a category um, is pretty astounding. It's also just looks like it's a really cool looking brand. I, th- I guess it's it's I don't know. Hopefully, it's designed as a common but it could it could be kind of it's kind of like the the knife equivalent of of House of Cans, I guess. But but I, I respond to what they do. I think I think we share um, 
some similar values in terms of our approach to product and presentation. A lot of people actually said you're, you, you're a shop for this. They said House of Cans. Well, they're very kind. <laughs> and I had to say to people, guys, you need to stop saying that because we need it to be different. We need some variety. Yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully that's some kind of degree of validation. We, we, we um, you know, we really enjoy what we do. Uh, and I love, yeah, it's, it's it's an absolute pleasure to run. So, so that's really, really nice to hear. People love it. What can I say? Thank you so much, Simon, for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you.